Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge and as always joined by my lovely co-host Shelly. How's it going? Good, Serge. I am so happy to have probably the top leader on employment law. Joining us today is the one, the only uber talented Rick McKee, who's senior counsel with the coolest law firm in Canada called In-House Law. Rick, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. We brought Rick on the show today because Serge and I did a show with Will Van Mindendorp, and we got into the biggest discussion around can employers put on their job ads must be vaccinated. Whoa, that just went into this absolute fucking tailspin. So I thought, hold on a minute. Why don't we bring on an expert? So I called up my friend, Mr. Rick McKee, who happens to be an incredible employment lawyer and a lot of fun to talk to. So I'm going to start, Rick, with asking you to just share with the audience a brief background of how on earth did you end up being an employment lawyer? You must have stories like honest to God, after a couple of scotch, you could probably tell some pretty good doozies. One of the great things about being a lawyer and keeping with that, one of the great tragedies about being a lawyer is that you do get the best stories, but there's only so many of them you can actually tell anybody. You know, there's a line between what you can talk about and what you can't. But yes, if you're at all a voyeur, it's a wonderful business to be in. <laughs> except that you can't go home and tell anyone about it. It's funny, I've always been a litigator and I've been involved in, in just about every type of litigation imaginable. But as time went on, it, Calgary, of course, has a history of massive layoffs followed by massive hirings, followed by massive layoffs. It was one of those sort of cycles that I started doing this. In. I was struck by the fact that I was encountering a generation of now unemployed individuals who had you know, worked hard, punched in every day, and believed that all you had to do was you know, show up, do your job, and you get a retirement, a package. And they were devastated by the fact that the company was cutting them loose. And so there was the legal aspects, but the human aspect was equally compelling. And it was trying to convince people that, you know, the day of working your whole life with one company and getting a gold watch and a, and, a, and a retirement party, those days are gone. And it's not about you. It's not about you as an individual. You're a line item, unfortunately. And trying to get people past that psychological obstacle. Because the first thing you'd ask, what are you hoping I can accomplish for you? I want my job back. I want to go back to work. And so that part was very compelling. And then when I started working as an in-house counsel for a number of years, I was doing all manner of other types of litigation, but I always defaulted as well to being the, the in-house person for HR and labor relations in, in unionized environments. So yeah, I've been doing it for a long time and it's always interesting. That's for sure. Boy, yeah, I'm sure. I really appreciate the candidness of what you just said. And that is, it isn't personal. So when companies are making decisions to lay people off, you're a line on a spreadsheet. And that's really tough, I think, for people to get their head around. So thank you for pointing that out. The flip side to it, in this current environment where a lot of people are quitting their jobs, a lot of business owners and a lot of managers are taking it very personally that these people are leaving the jobs. So there's a karma on the other Oh, way. oh absolutely. The tables have turned. Generations following 
I'd figured that one out. And it is somewhat amusing in a strange sort of way to listen to the wailing of employers, uh, you know, that where's the loyalty? Well, right. you know, <laughs> dial it back a few years and get your answer. A lot of the younger generation didn't really experience this until 2008. And a core of the workforce really started their career in 2008. And the first thing is they saw the massive layoffs. They saw uh, how they were treated and they figured out, hey, I'm going to do the best that I can. I'll put in the hours that I'm paid for. But when I get a better opportunity, I'm leaving you. That loyalty is gone. Absolutely. You're looking out for yourself. And, and in many ways, many people stopped defining their lives only in terms of their career and their job and started looking more for the balance and understanding that if they don't look after themselves, ain't nobody going to do it for them. The dynamic changed. Yeah, it's, it is. We're seeing it happen in every industry sector and company size. Rick, I've got a question for you. We've talked before about the vaccine mandate. It's so confusing because employers hear so much, oh, this is the law. So I thought, who better to ask than Rick? When I talked to you once before, somebody had said to me, oh, this is trampling on the Canadian charter. So realize that most of us took this in social studies in grade nine. <laughs> and I know it's not been that long for Serge because he's such a, a young pup, yeah. but I don't remember Charter of Rights. So do me a favor, Rick. Will you give us a quick lesson on the charter? What's a law? And how is that different than bylaw versus an employer mandate? Because the lines, if we say blurred, that's an understatement. So Rick, help us out. Sure. Sure. It's funny, you know, um, I'm starting to feel older every day, but I was in law school when the charter came into force. And when uh, Her Majesty the Queen sat at the table outdoors in front of Parliament with uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, she signed the uh, repatriation of the Constitution and putting the charter into law. There was this enormous clap of thunder, almost on cue, as if it was happening and everything was blowing all over the place. And, we weren't sure whether that was some sort of divine sign that by breaking ties with Mother England, we'd now cast ourselves into the abyss or not. However, I think the Charter has, as time gone on, proven itself to be a very functional and, and excellent protector of civil rights. But the thing to remember, because it is being thrown around hourly these days yes. in, in regards to vaccine situations, is that the Charter applies to the relationship between government and citizens. The Charter protects citizens from the intrusions and work of government. And so whether it's the government of Canada, whether it's the provincial governments, or whether it's the municipal governments that all gain their power ultimately from the Crown and work their way down, and whether it's the laws of the federal government, the laws of the provincial government, or the bylaws of the, of the, the city, the Charter is there to ensure that your rights are protected from the powers of the state, of course, having all of the ability for imposing their will upon their citizens. So when you're talking about an employer suggesting that you must be vaccinated to maintain your employment here, it doesn't involve the charter. The charter does not protect you from your employer. Employers have to adhere to provincial human rights legislation and so employers must ensure that they don't discriminate, they don't treat mm -hmm. people differently in terms of hiring and maintaining employment based on mm -hmm. race, religion, sexual identity, et cetera. And so that comes into play in situations if uh, 
a person has a medical condition or something which prevents them right. from doing their job, or in the case of vaccines, getting vaccinated, they have an obligation to accommodate them to the point of undue hardship. But it's not a charter issue. It's a question of non-discriminatory employment. That's the overarching picture, if you will. That's a lot. Thank you, Rick, because it's clear to me the difference, because it is really confusing for most employers to understand that there is federal law, provincial law, human rights law, occupational health and safety law. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. holy shit. Like, the lawyers are coming for us. <laughs> it's all law. Well, and yeah, yeah. I mean, there already is a, as an outcropping of cases already happening. But again, in the popular sort of dialogue, in the things you see on media, there is a conflating with my charter rights are being violated. Well, if the government were to say tomorrow that it is the law in Canada that everyone over the age of 12 becomes vaccinated, then the charter would have to be taken into consideration. And there could be suggestions that numerous sections of the charter are being breached by that sort of a law. And the courts ultimately would consider it. And the charter does within itself have provisions which say that some charter rights can be limited where it is shown to be justified in a free and democratic society. For instance, you're driving home from work tonight after your post-work cocktails and you get pulled over by a check stop. And they make a demand for you to provide a breath sample. Well, that is a blatant violation of the rules with respect to you have the right not to provide incriminating evidence in a criminal procedure. And so that being legal went through all manner of challenges under the charter before the courts determined that, well, yes, that's true. Being forced to provide a sample of your breath offends that concept. It is justifiable in a free and democratic society to restrict our rights to that extent to prevent chaos and mayhem on the roads. And so you will have that if a government were to make a law like that, or indeed if the occupational health and safety branches in the provincial governments were to mandate that as part of what they determine to be a safe workplace, there would inevitably be those kinds of challenges and the the courts would be forced to consider that. And again, it comes down to balancing the rights and freedoms of individuals versus the cost to society. I mean, there's a reason that you go to a courthouse and there's always somebody with a scale standing in front of the the courthouse. It isn't just about weighing evidence, but it also refers to balancing the interests of society. And that's what it's all about. But we're not there yet. No level of government has come out and said, thou shalt get vaccinated, thou must get vaccinated. So government has mandated federal employees to be vaccinated. That would not fall into it because it's- As their employer. employer. As, okay. Yes, as their employer. Yes. And again, that comes down to a relationship. Now, somebody's going to take a swing at that for sure. But in my opinion, the federal government as an employer is making the same kind of rules that, that, that other employers are. But somebody is, because it's the federal government, is bound to take that, that step. So this is still relatively new, and you mentioned that uh, there's not a lot of precedent as far as companies getting sued for mandating vaccinations. What do you think uh, are potential challenges that are going to come across to these organizations that are mandating vaccination? Well, it comes down to this. From a purely employment law perspective, anytime an employer unilaterally changes a condition of employment, The first question that comes up is, can this amount to a constructive dismissal? 
So there's going to be suggestions that me announcing that as of Monday, it is now a condition of my employment with you that you become vaccinated. That is a unilateral change to a substantial aspect of our contract, if you will. So there's likely to be some attempt to, to make that argument. The other cases that will come up and have come up is where an employer says, if you aren't vaccinated by a certain date, we're going to suspend you without pay. Well, again, suspension without pay is a constructive dismissal in most cases. And then you have some employers who say, well, if you don't become vaccinated, I'm going to terminate you for cause. And there's bound to be case law considering whether that is sufficient. Now, there's opinions flying all over the place. A truly national authority on employment law, Howard Levitt, has recently published a piece entitled Why the Unvaccinated Will Never Win in Court. And he is more or less saying that he thinks that with cause terminations will survive these kinds of challenges. So those are the things that pop up immediately. And then, of course, employers always are having to look over their shoulders as well, because they're going to have employees who are going to say, I'm not refusing. I have a medical condition. And so I shouldn't be forced to, to get vaccinated. And so the accommodation issue comes up. Or there's going to be some who are going to turn around and say, well, it's a religious issue. And, and I belong to the First Church of Anti-Vaccination, which was founded six weeks ago in Oregon. And one of the elements of our faith is we don't get vaccinated. And so the employer is going to be stuck in a situation where they're going to have to deal with those kinds of potential accommodations. And those are the things that, that pop up immediately. And Unfortunately, we don't have an enormous amount of uh, case law yet, which provides any sort of guidance because, of course, these things take time. And invariably, in first instance, a decision will be made that will be the subject of an appeal that will be subject to further appeals, and it can take a great deal of time. There has been a litigation commenced in Alberta on behalf of three physicians in the province who are taking a run at AHS and alleging many of these things that we're talking about. And they're also alleging conspiracy to commit assault, which is uh, what in, an interesting what the hell? Uh, approach. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it is going to be a great deal of time before we get to a place where we have clear guidance that gives us uh, definitive answers in most situations. Let's flip it around. I'm, I'm going to give you a scenario. Companies that are not mandating vaccination. Say I'm an employee. I need to go in the office. I'm vaccinated. I can't work from home. It's the company's choice, but they're not mandating vaccinations. I catch a breakthrough case. I die. What would be the potential responsibility of the company in that case? And that is the flip side of, as you say, of these situations, because the occupational health and safety uh, legislation, the one thing they've made it clear is it is absolutely the obligation of the employer to, to provide a safe workplace and that the employer will be held responsible when they do not do that. Now, it is an interesting question, again, unanswered one, as to whether or not uh, requiring vaccination would be in keeping with that obligation to maintain a safe workplace. Because as you say, if my employer doesn't do that, and I do contract COVID at work, and I suffer significantly from it, is my employer now run afoul of OH&S regulations? And have they opened themselves up to potential liability from their workers? And those are also excellent questions. OHS authorities could remove a lot of this gray area by just simply saying, yes, we consider that to be part of a safe work environment. But politically, of course, that opens up 
enormous cans of worms. I don't expect to see that anytime soon, but that's certainly an argument, again, that can be made and not an unreasonable one, to be, to be perfectly honest. Rick, certainly here in Alberta, there's poor restaurant owners. Like I think in a matter of days, they had to train their front end staff to ask anybody coming into the restaurant to show proof of vaccination. And so I wondered, like, what happened to people's privacy? Am I (laughs) missing the point? If I want to go to a restaurant, this 17-year-old has to look at my photo ID and my proof of medical vaccination. Why is it on the shoulders now of the business? You have put your finger on half a dozen issues there. Again, privacy is another element of the law, which is very much in play and has been almost since March of 2020 when when the fund began, because ordinarily collecting health information and that sort of thing by employers was very questionable and considered to be across the line. And for the longest time, your employer was taking your temperature and asking you 15 questions before you could walk through the door. And so that whole privacy line has been blurred considerably. Your point with respect to the restaurants, that's a function of two things. It's a function of unfortunate government policy, sort of putting private businesses in the the front lines of of trying to deal with these things. Mm -hmm. Although I'm not sure how you entirely can avoid that. But again, that is you offering up your private information to this individual. This isn't somebody gaining access to it or gathering it and recording it. And so I don't know that in and of itself is an issue. And of course, if you're saying, well, I have to, well, the answer that comes back is you don't have to go to the restaurant. You know, I don't know that raises the same kind of issues. Now, employers are sending out surveys and various kinds of euphemisms for them, but essentially asking their employees, are you going to get vaccinated? Of course, gathering that information falls right into the, to the concerns that all the privacy legislation speaks to. And so it's a a question of gathering it in such a way that it isn't violating anyone's privacy. If we looked at it through the lens that we used on privacy questions for two and a half years ago, my mm-hmm. God, the privacy commissioner would have more complaints that they go on forever and ever. But we've certainly abandoned a lot of that by necessity. The question is going to be how much of a retrenching is there going to be back to the way it was? Or is there going to be a special COVID, you know, we were making it up as we went along. And so, you know, nobody's going to be held accountable for it is is a really interesting question. Yeah. Let's go back to when an employee is actually hired. Right now, you can ask them to be fully vaccinated. There's nothing stopping a company about advertising that you need to be fully vaccinated and as a condition of employment to be fully vaccinated. Is that correct? Yeah, there's far less issue on a going forward basis. It isn't hard for an employer, if even questioned on the necessity of that, to say that it is justifiable to want to hire only vaccinated individuals. And I don't think they're going to be running afoul of any human rights legislation or or anything like that. And one of the interesting sidebars to all of this is that any of us who do this kind of work have no doubt been getting a great many inquiries from employees who are in a situation where their employer has said, well, you've got till whatever date to become vaccinated, or you're going to be suspended, or you're going to have to then get tested before you come on site every day or three times a week, and are expressing this concern about, well, what can I do? What will I, how can you help me? And the conversations 
are usually along the lines of what we've been discussing, but can also talk about, we might be able to help you get a proper severance package, that sort of thing. But what you got to ask yourself is, where are you going to work? Where are you going to go? And that dime hasn't dropped for a lot of people. It's one thing to make your peace or not with your current employer, but it's just going to become that much harder going down the road. And yeah, there was an article just recently, and I don't know if it was clickbait. So we'll take this with a grain of salt because the industrial plants in Fort McMurray, the, the, the plant operators, the owners, like the Canadian naturals and imperial oil of, of the world, they have now made it a condition of employment that you be vaccinated. And this article said that a thousand employees plan to resign from their jobs. You know, we've heard that before, right, Serge? That's clickbait to get you to read the article. But in fact, three people resigned because of what you just said. The fact is, if you're going to stay and doing that for a living, every employer, they have decided that all of us are going to do it. And, and rightfully so, because if you're living in a remote community in a camp setting and people start to get sick and now you've got a complete outbreak, right? They had to for the safety of their employees. Well, it's um, not only safety of the employees too. For us to get back to normal and business to operate like it did before, vaccinations are a factor in helping that. And that's how different businesses are seeing right now is we want to force vaccinations because we want to get back to normal as quickly as possible. Yeah. So Rick, can you dispel something for us? Was there any government listening devices inserted into the Pfizer vaccine? I now have both AstraZeneca and Pfizer running through my system. So I'm not sure whether I'm I'm being listened to in Britain and in in, in, uh, the United States. To my knowledge, no. And the worry that Bill Gates is now following you everywhere you go is is priceless in a world where people's cell phones are stuck to their left butt cheek. You know, you're being surveilled more than a dissident during the, the Cold War in, in the Soviet Union. Nobody needs to be having oh. injected. So you're saying it's not true? I'm saying it's not true, yes. Oh, okay. Thank you. But strangely enough... I haven't met anyone in my life that the government or anybody else would think is worth surveilling. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a function of this world we live in. We're not that freaking important. Why would anyone care what, <laughs> what we're doing? Zuckerberg cares because he wants to sell me crap. But I wish I was that fascinating that it was, I was worth being surveilled. However... Well, let's leave it at this. What would be your advice for companies that are looking at mandating vaccinations, both for their existing employees and new employees? How should they approach it to make sure they can cover themselves as much as possible? I know it's there's not enough case law, but what would be the advice to them? I think it's dependent to a certain degree on the industry. And of course, it also varies if you have an organized labor force as opposed to not. Generally speaking, my view is that obviously, if you're in an industry that has any sort of contact with the public or vulnerable populations, a vaccine requirement is essential for you to continue to do your work. And again, from a safe workplace point of view and a broader public perspective, it is an important and I think prudent thing for an employer to do. Now, having made that decision, there are things you can do, which I think will lessen the flashpoint. A lot of employers I've noticed in the last three or four weeks have steered away from the suspension without pay model leading to dismissal to, okay, if you don't want to become vaccinated, then you must submit to testing 72 hours prior to the commencement of your shift at your expense. 
That seems to me to be a reasonable sort of middle ground approach rather than putting employment contracts to the stress test of a suspension without pay and that sort of thing. And so I'm seeing a lot of employers doing that. That seems sensible as we understand the world today, uh, I think is a good approach. And one bridge they're going to have to consider is that, is this going to be equally reasonable to mandate vaccination for employees who are working at home and who have been working at home and continue to work at home and do not have contact with their co-workers? And so that raises some interesting questions as well, because you can justify it from a safety perspective, both within your place of employment and in your contact with the population as a whole. But again, if you have a remote worker who never sees anyone but their cat, it may not work as well. As much as employers want to see their people back in the office to some extent, that may be a place of discussions. But the one rule you can always count on is that if you look at every situation and you think it through and you have a thoughtful and thought through approach, you're rarely going to run afoul of anyone because we can only make the decisions we can make based on the information we have right now. And so those are the kinds of things that I think that employers can think about. Uh, again, there's going to be test cases. This is going to get fleshed out as time goes on. As I've told clients, aren't you excited? We can do this and we can go to court. And 10 years from now, your case will be on the lips of law students forevermore. Isn't that exciting? Aren't you absolutely you know, thrilled to be the one who we all talk about? You know, Of course not. No, no businessman is interested in that as much as a litigator it would Make me extremely happy if you want to bankroll that for the next 10 years. So again, prudent decisions. Let me put it this way. Anything that we have from arbitrators or from courts to this point in time have been generally considering the COVID measures leading up to this point, mask mandates, you know, health checks, and they have virtually all fallen on the side of protection and safety, and those are not significant intrusions. And so I don't see that changing. But again, as an employer, you don't necessarily want to have nothing but endless difficulties or losing dozens, if not hundreds of employees if you don't have to. And so looking at these sort of middle grounds, I think, makes a great deal of sense from a practical point of view, if not legal. Thank you so much. And I know our audience is probably thinking, oh, man, I've got a ton of questions. Now, not that you ever give out free advice. However, if they wanted to find you, how can somebody get a hold of you? In-house, I-N-H-A-U-S, Legal has a wonderful website, which can connect you to us. Uh, my one and only social media presence is LinkedIn, and I can be reached there. Or you can just give me a call. Thank you, Rick. I have a feeling that we might need to start doing a series. Can I reserve the right to have you back on the show? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much. Great info. I think all the practitioners in recruitment are still confused. So I'm hoping this gives them more information. Thanks again. Pleasure. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. 
Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.